What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasure. I will, when I make up my treasure possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spare his sons who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who reveal my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap, leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the, that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. He never actually went away on holidays because he didn't have anyone that he felt he could trust to look after his animals like he did. But finally, his mate next door, Mike, uh, convinced him to take the holiday to Europe that uh, Roger had always wanted. And Mike promised that he would care for his beloved animals. And so Roger was uh, into about his second week in Europe. He was admiring the uh, the magnificent ruins of the Colosseum in Rome, when suddenly he got a text message from Mike. Siamese dead, regards Mike. With uh, tears in his eyes and his heart pounding, he raced back to his hotel room and got Mike's number and he, he phoned Mike and asked him what on earth had happened to the cat. And he said, why did, you, why did you send me such a blunt text message? It was a terrible shock. Well, said Mike, I guess that's the nature of text messages. Uh, it was too expensive to phone you on your mobile in Europe and wasn't much else I could do. What, what did you expect me to say anyway? Well, said Roger, a few days ago you could have sent me a message, you know, cat on roof but can't get her down. Um, and then the next day, perhaps, cat sustained serious injury due to fall from roof. And then yesterday you could have messaged me Cat not responding to best of care in hospital. And then today you could have gently told me that the cat had died. Oh, okay, said Mike, fair enough. Um, look, if there's any more bad news, I'll, I'll try and break it to you gently. But it's all good, so uh, enjoy your holiday. And so a few days later, Mike was looking over the ru ruins of Pompeii, a little bit further down south in, in Italy, and his mobile beeped again. It was another message from Mike. Smoke seen billowing from your house yesterday. <laughs> Regards, Mike. 
it, it's really hard to make bad news sound good, isn't it? And I think that's pretty much how we think about the coming day of the Lord. Uh, it sounds like such a bleak, a bleak and, and dreadful day. Uh, the opening verses of Malachi chapter 4 paint pictures of intense fire and destruction. A day of terrible judgment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it might seem like a futile exercise to try and make the day of the Lord sound like good news. Such bad news, isn't it? After all, even the Bible describes it as a great and terrible day. But if you actually just listen to what we read from Malachi, the coming of the day of the Lord is actually presented here as good news, great news to those who are trusting in God. For a start, chapter 3, verse 17 tells us that it's a day when God will make up his treasured possession, a day when he will graciously spare his people with great compassion. Surely the day of the Lord is really good news and we should stop treating it like it's bad news. And rather than be embarrassed by this coming day of the Lord, we should rejoice in it and seriously tell people about it because God has declared that the next climatic event in his dealing with mankind will be the day of the Lord. This is where history is going. And this morning I, I want you to see from the book of Malachi that we've been studying together this weekend how this day will actually reveal God's infinite goodness. And one reason it will do that is because it will show God's absolute commitment to justice. The very thing that we were talking about in the last session. I'm sure you've heard many times that our God, the maker of heaven and earth, is a God of justice. It's how he's revealed himself in the scriptures. For example, the psalmist writes in Psalm 33 and verse 5, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Or Psalm 89 verse 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. And I think we all want justice. At least every reasonable and decent human being wants justice. How did you feel when you first heard that 20 little children, uh, all aged six or seven, had been shot dead in that primary school in Newtown, Connecticut? Uh, I'm sure you wanted justice for them. There are times when evil fills us with horror and anger. And so you can kind of sympathise with the people of Malachi's day who see criminals prospering instead of punished who see corruption and bribery in the courts, who feel oppressed by foreign rulers who don't judge by God's standards, but actually persecute those who worship him. That's what the Persians were doing. Malachi says that they are appalled at their own society and say in chapter 3, verse 15, but now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. It was a valid observation at one level. But as I said before morning tea, the trouble with these complainers is that they are motivated by dissatisfaction with God and they were using the injustice in the world around them as an excuse for accusing God of failure and therefore justifying their own unbelief. People do that today, don't they? 
people will say to you, how can you believe in a God that lets this happen? And then you, you know, fill in the blanks. And often those comments sting. They sting us. Because we have to agree that it, it seems so unfair, so tragic, so unjust. But we also know that God says in Isaiah 61 and verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. How do we reconcile those things? We know that God is not unfair, but how do you explain that to people who probably prefer to think of God as being unfair so that they can feel okay about ignoring him? We know that God has put many things in place to curb evil and to, to kind of bring a measure of justice in this life. Uh, the law that, uh, that God gave Israel through Moses was very strong and detailed about justice. Justice for the weak and the vulnerable, as well as for the strong. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 13 that God has instituted the authority of the police force or the military to be his agent of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. So it's not as if God has done nothing. But you know as well as I do that this is not enough to deal with all the injustice and evil. And it's, um, you know, our, our justice system is often powerless to prevent um, the, the injustices that we, that we see. And of course, any system of law is powerless to prevent natural disaster and untimely death. Well, Malachi doesn't give us all the answers, but what he does tell us in chapter 4, verse 1, is very good news. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Do you see how this is uh, God's answer, at least in part, to the complaint in chapter 3 and verse 15? The complaint was that the arrogant are blessed. And the evildoers prosper. And here you see in verse 1 of chapter 4, what happens to the arrogant and the evildoer? They are stubble. They'll get what they deserve. Here the prophet Malachi uses the imagery of a, like a catastrophic bushfire. We probably understand that image, imagery better than, than most people here in Australia. The day of the Lord will be like a furnace, he says. Um, the word picture here of, of such an intense heat that... that Things spontaneously burst into flame. It reminds me of the fires around Melbourne on Black Saturday in February 2009. Uh, the temperature, remember, there was uh, 46 degrees and high winds and extremely low humidity created the, just the right conditions for the largest, most intense firestorm ever experienced in Australia since um, Europeans settled here. But the imagery in Malachi is not of a literal furnace, it's the intense, unbearable heat of the judgment of God. Every injustice will be dealt with by God. Nothing will escape. And so the day of the Lord displays God's goodness because it shows how much God cares about this world. Injustice and evil may not be dealt with immediately in the way that gives you and I satisfaction, but God has not forgotten it. Uh, he will obtain justice on the day of the Lord. 
this can be a, a really practical comfort for us when we suffer injustice. I remember years ago, uh, some evil scheming people stole my co cousin's home and money uh, that was eventually to come to me. Uh, I think that, that's probably feeling a bit selfish about it. Um, but uh, I was his nearest living relative. I actually had a copy of the will. <laughs> um, but he was in, in a nursing home with dementia and they had him sign his house over to them, these wicked people. I didn't find out about it until he died. Uh, I hadn't even been informed that he died until six months after. Um, the, and I was in my first year of ministry at Rutherford at the time. Uh, the, the matter might have been redressed uh, by a long and costly legal battle. But in the end, um, I was comforted and joy to by the truth that God would bring justice to bear on the day of the Lord. Um, we, we could be completely distracted by seeking justice now. Um, it would distract us from what God had called us to do. Um, if God had wanted us to have that, that money, we would have had it. But it was an injustice. Maybe there's been some injustice for you or for your family. Something that is kind of simmering under the surface for you and, and worrying you about whether God is really just. Well, you can look forward to the day of the Lord. A second reason we should look forward to the day of the Lord is because God's people are vindicated on that day. Again, referring back to chapter 3 and verse 14, uh, some in the Old Testament church were saying, it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? Again, let me remind you, this is 450 BC. The land that God had given them was overrun by foreigners. And the now tiny nation of Judah was struggling to maintain any sort of identity. Now, once it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Now it was marginal land plagued by drought and insect pests. Now, things are so bad that they liken themselves to mourners. And again, we can identify somewhat with this complaint too. It's often hard for you and me to live as Christians in a world that is hostile, hostile to the gospel, hostile to, hostile to Jesus. Uh, for some of our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, it means constant persecution and even death. And for Christians, 2000, uh, sorry, Christians for 2,000 years have recognised that if the gospel isn't true, then our faith in Jesus is futile. It's stupid. Uh, the Apostle Paul openly talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, doesn't he? Where he says, if it were not for the resurrection of Jesus, uh, your faith would be useless. Now, you and I as New Testament Christians have the historical crucifixion, uh, the bodily resurrection of Jesus to validate our faith. The Old Testament believers, I guess they had the great saving acts of God to look back to. You know, that they're released from slavery in Egypt, the opening of the Red Sea, the miracles that, they, that their ancestors witnessed in the wilderness, the way that God gave Israel victory over its enemies. 
but their current circumstances blurred their vision of God's faithfulness. They questioned whether serving God was worthwhile at all. And Malachi is saying to them, well, I can tell you that the day of the Lord is coming when your faith in God will be, will be vindicated. So keep on trusting him. There will be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The outcome is not the same for both. Between those who serve God and those who do not. Now have a look at chapter 4 and verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Now we'll come back to the sun of righteousness in a minute. Because what I want you to see at this point is what a difference this day will make for two groups of people. In verse 1, the picture is of the sun rising with a terrible heat. So terrible that everyone who is exposed to it catches on fire. And some are thinking, well, yes, John, you, you just told us that this means that God is going to deal with all of the injustice and the evil. And it does mean that. But you see, the Bible tells us that God's judgment will extend way beyond the Ivan Malats and the, the Murphy brothers who murdered Anita Cobby, um, beyond Adolf Hitler. Uh, yes, they will get what they deserve from God, but you see, for God, injustice is actually any act or any thought that violates his standards of love and morality. It's any act of disrespect towards God, any act of disobedience to his commands. That is what arrogance really is. And the scary thing is that Malachi says that all the arrogant will be stubble. And I guess the reason why the day of the Lord is traditionally feared and, and not even talked about is because it will be a day when every person will have to stand before God. Uh, the Apostle Paul is talking to all of us when he writes in Romans 2, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. So on the day of the Lord, every person will be exposed to God's very fair condemnation and will receive the penalty that is due to them. Everyone, that is, except those who fear God. Notice Malachi says to them, there's a very clear distinction, you who revere my name, uh, not you who are pure and innocent, there aren't any. This is about grace, it's not a reward. In New Testament terms, this means those who have put their trust in Jesus and are living to serve him. Malachi paints a very different picture for them. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, let's deal with verse 3 first, uh, for it's, it's a disturbing image if you don't understand it. Um, where, you know, you will trample down the wicked, they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. 
This is military language and it describes what God is doing, not what we do. Note the end of verse 3, when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. So it's simply a picture of vindication. And in particular, it's a picture of the final triumph of God's people over those who have persecuted them. Those who have thrown them into prison and beaten them and tortured them and killed them because they were followers of Jesus. It's a picture of the ultimate victory of the Baptist missionary Graham Staines over the Hindu radicals who, who burned Graham and his two little boys alive in 1999. It's the triumph of the Lord Jesus for the 500 or so Indian Christians who were killed in Orissa State by radical Hindus just five years ago. It's a further reminder that God will obtain justice for his suffering people. And so back to verse 2. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Uh, I had a taste of drafting cattle uh, once when I helped some friends on a, uh, a rugged cattle property near Inverell uh, many years ago. And we'd rounded up their cattle on, on this, uh, it, was a, it was their second property, it was just rough bush. And um, we'd rounded up the, the cattle, they were pretty wild, uh, got them into the cattle yards, and the idea was to uh, separate the calves after they'd been ear-tagged um, and wean them from their mothers. They were used to the freedom of the bush. They didn't like being in the stalls at all. But uh, after the, the calves had been drafted and into an, another yard, we opened the gates to let them out. And they leapt. They leapt out of the gates. It was, uh, yeah, wonderful to see. Uh, as, as they enjoyed this new freedom again. And Malachi uses this image in verse 2 to picture the rejoicing of God's people in his wonderful grace as they are freed from the judgment. They deserve exactly what the arrogant ones receive, but instead they receive grace because Jesus hung in their place on the cross and so on the day of the Lord, he can turn to them in mercy. He can give them freedom and all of the promises that God has made to his people concerning the future. You see, in verse 1, the sun rose in vengeance to bring justice. But in verse 2, that very same sun rises on those who trust God and the purpose is to bless. It rises with healing in its wings. Of course, Malachi is not talking here about the sun up in the sky. It is God at work on the day of the Lord, not the sun in the sky. And so the picture here of the sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings is an Old Testament picture looking forward to the Lord Jesus. We should look forward to the day of the Lord because it heralds the return of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 9:27, just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And the question is, are we waiting for him? Well, we know he's coming, but are we living in the light of his imminent return? We look forward to other things, don't we? 
that by comparison are of little consequence. Probably we look forward to the, the church camp weekend. It's a good thing to look forward to. We, we look forward to all sorts of things. How much more we should be looking forward to the day of the Lord when Jesus will return and thinking about life in the, in the context of that coming day, just as Malachi is encouraging us to do here. So how do you and I prepare for the day of the Lord? How do we respond to the book of, of Malachi? Well, Malachi tells us in verse 4 of chapter 4, but be careful because it, it doesn't mean what, what you might think it means at first. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I would come and strike the land with a curse. Remember the law of my servant Moses. It's very tempting to read verse 4 and think that Malachi is saying to the people, just keep all of God's laws and you'll be right with God on the day of the Lord. That would be true if it was possible. But even the Old Testament believers knew that salvation was a gift from God, not a reward for keeping the law. Because they knew that they, they, they didn't keep it. The Apostle Paul points out in Galatians chapter 3 that not one person will be saved by obeying God's law because we are incapable of doing that properly. It's the whole reason why God made a new covenant in the blood of Jesus. Uh, Paul concludes in Galatians 3.24, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And so the effect of God's law is to remind us that we are sinners. It's to drive us to the foot of the cross, where we plead for God's mercy. When God says through Malachi, Remember the law of my servant Moses, he is calling his people... He's calling God's people and he's calling us to repentance. That's why he's saying that. Not as a way of salvation. But he's, he's, he's reminding us that obedience to God is the way that we demonstrate our faith in him. Uh, we know from history that Israel did not repent and, and God's threat in the final words of this prophecy, uh, prophecy was put into effect. He ended his covenant with the nation of Israel. The curse that was um, uh, set out in the, the, the covenant with, with um, Abraham that was you know, uh, uh, set out more completely in the law that, that was given through Moses uh, was the, the consequence that God's people would suffer if they broke the covenant. And uh, Malachi is simply alerting the people again, don't forget the curse of the covenant if it's broken. And that's what happened because Israel refused to repent. Now I'm always conscious that in a group of uh, this size there, there could be someone who's not yet put their trust in Jesus. Uh, you've come to the camp because you're interested or because you, you were required to or for some other reason. Um, but yeah, you, you're, not, you're not there yet. 
Well, this whole book has been about submitting to God and serving him. Uh, and the application for you, the, the way that, that you can respond to Malachi, is to accept God's offer of forgiveness for your sin and accept that Jesus took the punishment that was meant for you so that you don't suffer the curse of the covenant. And perhaps those words from God right at the very beginning of Malachi are directed to you. I have loved you, says the Lord. God's invitation is to return to him by confessing the wrong way that you've treated him, to submit to the authority of Jesus over you. Don't resist him any longer. And to the rest, I think this is a call to repentance. Um, you know that in some ways, like the Israelites of Malachi's day, as I've been saying uh, up until now, you know, you've been taking God for granted as well. Uh, you've shown contempt for his name by simply going through the motions and failing to love him as you should. Perhaps there are thing, things about the way that you are treating others in the church family or the ways that you're neglecting them that are dishonouring to God. Uh, in chapter 2, God challenged us about the state of our marriages and whether we're being faithful in every aspect to our marriage vows. Uh, men, are you loving your wife as the Lord Jesus loves his bride? Or could it be that in some way, uh, financially, or in your time uh, and effort, you are robbing God? We love to bless ourselves, but do we love to bless the work of God? When it comes to hardships and struggles, are you trusting God or are you secretly, secretly um, accusing him of letting you down, of injustice? You know, what's, the, what's the point of trusting in Jesus when all these things happen? These are just some of the spiritual issues that God has raised with us over the, the last two days. And he's calling you and me to respond. Not just to say, oh, isn't Malachi a great book? He knows that we will only respond as we are caused to appreciate again the magnificence of Jesus. The magnificence of God's grace to us in Jesus. And so in verse 5, Malachi points again to the coming of John the Baptist who will prepare the way for Jesus. Only Jesus is worth serving. Worth sacrificing your money and time worth wasting your life in the cause of his kingdom, worth obeying and imitating, because he truly is Lord of everything. And so we look forward to the coming of his day, the day of the Lord, the day when he will settle every matter of injustice, when those who rejected Jesus will feel the terrible heat of his judgment, when those who trusted him will be vindicated and feel the healing touch of his grace and the true glory of the Lord Jesus will be revealed why don't we pray Heavenly Father forgive us for being so focused on the here and now that we take our eyes off that coming day thank you for reminding us that Jesus is coming that, uh, that our lives are not futile, that our serving you is, is not um, a waste of time, that trusting you is really quite silly, 
Thank you for reminding us that because of Jesus, because of all that he has done, and that because he is coming back, um, all of these things will be vindicated. They'll be discovered to be true and worthwhile. And you will be revealed for, in full for, for who you truly are, a God of grace, a God who treasures his people, who has made them his treasure through the blood of Christ. And so please help us to respond to your word delivered through Malachi, this burden that Malachi has unburdened on us. It's spoken to us, it's challenged us at points. We don't want to go away from this weekend without responding to you and determining that with your help uh, we're going to put those things right that, that aren't right. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your wonderful word. Uh, thank you for the one to whom it points, the Lord Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.